This is Danny Korchmar talking to you. You're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Pantheon Podcasts presents Deeper Digs with host and rock and roll archaeologist Christian Swain. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Love is but a song to sing, fears the way we die, diggers. Oh, that is a big song. Always appropriate in times like these. I mean, come on, people. And why that song? Well, because our guest today is going to be Jesse Colin Young. Uh, He of the Young Bloods and a new podcast host on Pantheon. Okay, let's get the business out of the way. Uh, Like I said last week, lots going on here at Pantheon. Um, Almost ready to announce some interesting um, partnerships, uh, I think is the way to to put it. Um, Not just yet, but very soon. And uh, I think you guys will all uh, enjoy and appreciate this. Uh, And certainly thank you for, you know, getting this to the point of getting noticed. Um, I think that would be fair to say. So, um... First, um, thanks uh, to all of you who did inquire on the capital investments, and uh, hopefully we'll see some of you being even more involved in our uh, success. Uh, We certainly appreciate the interest. If anyone else would like to know more, please email us at rockandrollarchaeologyproject at gmail.com. For those of you wondering about episode one of uh, Rock and Roll Archaeology, Uh, We did get the first draft, and as expected, there are only a few minor adjustments that are needed before we can get that uh, out for you all. Uh, Keep an ear out here for more news. Um, I will uh, deliver it as I get it. Also, as I mentioned last week, uh, we have a new show, and this week I can tell you all about it. Well, I did highlight a couple of new shows last week as well, didn't I? Uh, but I secretly said, ooh, I got this new show, can't talk about it uh, until maybe next week, and, and now I can talk about it. The show is called Invisible Arts, and is produced and hosted by Richard Gibbs. Now, Richard Gibbs is an accomplished record producer, film composer, arranger, musician, and studio owner. Uh, Richard was an integral member of Oingo Boingo and has composed scores for more than 60 films and numerous television series, uh, including The Simpsons and Battlestar Galactica. He has worked for decades with many of the greatest music legends, delivering abundant inspiration and knowledge to the highest profile trend makers in music. Yeah, uh, you just go look him up and see what he's been working on uh, just recently. Richard is revered throughout the entertainment community as one of the most influential creators in the business. He's also the founder of Armory of Harmony, a nonprofit organization dedicated to taking decommissioned guns and turning that metal into musical instruments for school programs. Very cool. And oh, by the way, I got a T-shirt And whenever I wear that T-shirt, somebody always says, what's that T-shirt about? Uh, Now uh, he has a podcast about the invisible art of music. Well, Richard's personal reflections in a career with the invisible arts, I should say. This is a uh, it's, it's a very interesting, whimsical podcast by a great storyteller. 
It comes with music, of course, uh, and some great audio effects that enhance each and every story. Uh, I suggest taking a nice stroll with your earbuds on a secluded beach or a quiet trail in the forest as you dive into Richard's past adventures in and out of the music business and whatever uh, that may lead him to think and talk about. I am sure you all will love this show. Uh, Invisible Arts is now out and available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Okay, uh, let's meet our guest today. Love is but a song we sing Feels the way we die You can make mountains ring Oh, make the angels cry Though the bird is on the wing And you may not know why Come on, keep them out Smile on your brother Everybody get together Back in 1969, the late, great Lester Bangs wrote that Elephant Mountain, the third Youngbloods album, exudes that supremely rare commodity in these dark, bored, destructive times. Joy. There's an observation that holds up very well across 50-plus years. We could all use some joy, some peace of mind right now, and I am happy to tell you our guest today fits that bill. Jesse Colin Young, a singer, songwriter, performer, environmentalist, peace activist, and now podcaster. Jesse was born and raised in Queens, New York. Uh, Mom was a violinist, and both parents strongly encouraged Jesse's music starting with piano lessons as a youngster. From there, Jesse moved on to classical guitar and was good enough to earn admission to the prestigious Phillips Academy. Uh, But he chafed at the rigid discipline there, and he ended up getting kicked out. As a college freshman, uh, Jesse rented a a little student pad uh, right behind a record store, and one could say that's really where his real education began. For a while, he tried balancing student life with uh, folk singer gigs in Greenwich Village. But eventually music won out, no surprise. His strong playing and, oh, sweet, clear tenor got him noticed. And in 1964 and 65, he released albums as a solo folk artist. In 1965, he co-founded the Youngbloods with guitarist Jeff Corbett. Jesse switched over to bass, Lowell Banana Levenger on keys and guitar, and Joe Bauer on drums rounded out the lineup. Youngbloods got steady work as the house band at the Cafe Agogo in Greenwich, and in 1966 RCA inked them to a five-album deal. The Youngbloods albums were solid sellers, nothing spectacular, and through steady touring, they built a fiercely loyal fan base. They're, you know, one of those bands that punches way above their weight in terms of musical influence and critical acclaim. Um, Something we noticed right away, uh, the Youngbloods had a strong groove. Their songs are very much in the pocket. That's something you don't hear a lot on those early folk rock records. It really helps to have a 
top-notch bassist, huh? Underneath that soaring tenor voice, Jesse's bass playing kept the songs nailed down and tight. The Youngbloods definitely bridged the gap between the folk rock movement of the mid-60s and the psychedelic rock of the late 60s. Jesse Colin Young's musical roots and broad range of influences had a lot to do with that. Yeah, hold that thought, diggers. We'll come back to that. Get Together, uh, written by folk singer Dino Valenti, uh, has been covered by at least a dozen different artists. Uh, the Youngbloods version is the definitive one, though. Uh, it's on their 1967 eponymous debut album. It made only a small dent in the charts at the time. Uh, the song didn't really take off until the summer of 1969. In the hearts and minds of millions all around the world, Get Together expresses what was best, what was good and true and beautiful about the turbulent 1960s. And it resonates just uh, as strongly now. It's a beacon of hope in dark and difficult times. After five studio albums with the Youngbloods, uh, Jesse went solo and was an integral part of the singer-songwriter movement of the early and mid 70s. In 1970, he built his own studio in Inverness, California, among the Redwoods north of here, San Francisco. He built a successful solo career uh, with Warner Brothers Records, then moved over to Elektra in the late 70s. Along the way, he raised a family and was active in environmental causes and the anti-nuclear movement. In 1979, he performed in the No Nukes concert at Madison Square Garden as part of Muse, Musicians United for Safe Energy. Jesse remained active, touring and recording throughout the 80s and 90s. In 1993, he founded Ridgetop Music, an independent label. In 2002, Robert Plant covered Jesse's song Darkness, Darkness off the third Youngbloods uh, album. It was a major hit that snagged a Grammy nomination. Fast forward to just a few years ago. In 2012, Jesse was diagnosed with a severe case of Lyme disease. Uh, there are treatments for Lyme disease, but it's a very tough one uh, with lingering, persistent symptoms. Jesse announced his retirement from recording and performing while he went through a long and difficult recovery. But in 2016, after seeing his son graduation's recital at the Berkeley School of Music, Jesse decided to work his way back into music. Which brings us to our show today, and all the way back around to Jesse Colin Young's diverse and fascinating musical roots. See, I, I told you we'd come back. Jesse is a podcaster now, and we are just thrilled to have him uh, a part of our Pantheon family. The podcast is called Trippin' on My Roots, and it's part travelogue, part musical history show, part personal journey. And it is excellent. Like Jesse and his music, it contains multitudes, uh, diverse influences. It's smart and funny and infused with heart and conscience. And it's a treat to the ears. We'll get into that and so much more in our discussion. So let's do it. Let's chat with Mr. Jesse Colin Young. Well, I live on a beach top and Lord knows I like it just Where it's windy and foggy Quiet most all the time Yeah, my lawn is pine needles And my driveway is old funky dirt And my front pathway markers are 
taxes are high But I don't believe it's a sin Welcome to Deeper Digs, Jesse Collin Young. How are you doing today? Oh, my pleasure. Doing good. Sun shining. I wish it'd back off a little bit. Um, it's probably hitting 95. Yeah, it's probably getting warm there in uh, South Carolina these days, huh? That that, that heat and uh, humidity. Yes, it is. And I am yearning for the for the mountains, and we'll <laughs> we'll get up there in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Do you still have a house here in uh, in Marin, uh, Inverness? No, the house burned to the ground, but my that's right, it did burn down to the ground. Survived the fire, yeah. So it's still there by the grace of God and uh, Mother Nature. Yeah, the fireman yeah. told me it, it was so far down in this gully, and and the house is up here with the hundred foot trees that the actually the those trees burning sucked all the oxygen out from down low when i came back and saw the studio as far as the eye could see from this what used to be a forest was smoldering stumps some of them 15 20 feet nothing but that except Mm -hmm. my studio which that's amazing down in this gully and yeah it was amazing it's wonderful Uh, my daughter Jazzy just uh, completed a record up there. My godson, who uh, uh, Ethan Turner, who was the only one of my kids who was interested at that point, my older kids in mm-hmm. in engineering, became an engineer, and um, he's been making music there. We we did some when we were touring together. He and my blood son Cheyenne and I were. We made a record together back in the early 2000s. But yes, Jazzy, just as I was working on my solo um, you know, we we did this one song at a time um, on Facebook. And it was just, it was the first day of the official, we never went into a lockdown here, but to stay at home in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And uh, Connie and I looked at each other and said, wow, this is going to be weird. And she said, well, why don't you go get your guitar and a play Sugar Babe or something, and let's just, I'll get my phone, and we'll stick it up, and it'll cheer people up. You know, yeah. probably a lot of yeah. people feeling, oh, this is going to be <laughs> the same way we are. So, um, yeah, so I got, um, and we had a, a rather strong response to a lot of those tunes so bmg said solo acoustic come on let's do it i think it's a record yeah (laughs) that's what i've been working on so you are you're working on a new record right now uh, a solo acoustic uh, album yeah oh very cool how far along are we we are um probably got enough for two albums yeah we're at um (laughs) We're at oh well, there is some uh, <laughs> some benefits to this damn pandemic, huh? <laughs> yeah, and it's um, yeah, it's it, it's been wonderful, full circle for me. I haven't played solo in so long, and then uh, by mistake, I was playing in a a place. Have you ever heard of the Mansion? It's in D.C. Um, 
and it's this I, I think he put five brownstones together. It's the the brother of uh, my manager, David Spiro, and mm-hmm. um, and it is filled with rock and roll memorabilia. To the really, I mean, just yeah. You, the mansion yeah. in D.C., huh? Mm-hmm. I'll be sure to check it out on my next trip. So we usually end up there about once or twice, once a year. Yeah. Oh, you should. Yeah, we have a lot. We have a lot of friends in D.C. So, oh, so, you know, I mean, yeah, I've been asking pretty much, you know, everybody uh, because this is, you know, this is the the event of a lifetime. You know, Um, interestingly, you were born in 1941, uh, you know, just a few months before. uh, In fact, less than a month before uh, Pearl Harbor. Yes. uh, Which was probably the last time the world has experienced this much trauma uh at, at at one time you know so you know i i might ask you now how's it impacted you and you know as a veteran of the road and studio you know where do you think we go from here and you know maybe what might be on the other side if you have a crystal ball well you know that 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 simple thing that county did of asking me to play sugar babe and then putting it up at um that became the center of our first month or two months. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was it, it was in the spring, a lot of pollen flying around. It used to take me three or four hours to get my voice working. Oh, I know that as a singer. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. So <laughs> we, you know, that would take up. And then once once I finished the song of the day or a couple songs, um, you know, to take her two or three hours to put them up. Mm-hmm. We don't have any super uh, internet uh, here, huh? <laughs> so, yeah, that, so it really, I've never, I've been here, I guess, in South Carolina for 14 years, but I have never spent the entire spring here. No, I, you probably haven't spent the entire season uh, anywhere uh, being a touring musician. Right, right. And I never realized it, but I got to see it from, we had a beautiful spring and very cool um, temperatures, uh, oh, good. which is wonderful because yeah, when it, it can uh, get hot there. <laughs> it gets nasty. And um, so I got to watch the whole, you know, from bare trees all the way through to this incredible oh the 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 blossoming of uh yeah uh, yeah of uh of these all uh, the trees the, and all the, the, the foliage trees. right so those are blessings of of uh being home for me and uh-huh. then getting back into uh you know I, I before this i spent three years playing in a band with my son Tristan yeah yeah um all Berkeley grads from mm-hmm. music yeah I think he graduated in 2016 yeah and made a uh an album called dreamers mm-hmm. um and so all of a sudden I'm playing solo and I, I and I would sit around and think okay how do I play this one I mean because when you're playing in an eight-piece band you don't want you're playing rhythm. Oh, you can't fill up everything. You need to create space. Yes. Yeah. So my playing was been very simple. So I kind of had to re, refine 
because I started this as a solo folk musician. Yeah, yeah. I kind yeah. of had to refine my finger picking and <laughs> all this. Uh, so it really kept me busy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. I can imagine. But you know, uh, it, it's interesting. You know, you're 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 the first person that I, that has had something good to say about the 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 pandemic. And I, and I don't mean obviously the pandemic, but you're finding the silver lining uh, in the in the dark cloud. Absolutely. I'm. I mean, in every. <laughs> There are gifts in every experience. Um, yeah. And it's yeah. just been a, an especially wonderful one for me, perhaps because I can't go drive around and uh, or fly around. Um, yeah, yeah. You have no commitments. Uh, <laughs> and, you, uh... and then we have this tool for which I could just reach out to people um, mm -hmm. simply and say, here's a tune. And, um, you know, it didn't have to be perfect. And I, as I said, I had to relearn to all play these things um, solo. Uh, and um, so I could communicate and I could share my music. I could feel like I was doing something to help others. And uh, it's great. And then. Well, do you, do you want to play a little something for us <laughs> uh, in the on the new album? Well. Well, let's see. I did warm up my voice. But that was an hour and a half ago, so <laughs> it might be not a good idea, but we'll see. So the new album is not new music. The, the Dreamers album was all songs written for the band and about what we were going through, about how important it is to take care of the environment, how. Uh, yeah, we got a real mess on our hands when it comes yes, to that, and, don't we? And yeah, and here comes the. So I've struggled with Lyme disease for probably 20 years. And this is the first year in the last two decades that I have been free. Completely, You're, you feel cured. Yes. Yeah, because uh, that's a very debilitating disease. Yeah, it's been, it's been a wicked ride. Oh, I know. It was so bad that uh, you actually retired in 2012 uh, from music and uh, and touring, and thought that was going to be it, huh? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I yeah. Do it anymore. Yeah. Do it. How did how did how did how did you get better? Was it was it uh, uh, you know homeopathic? Was it uh, just uh, the time and to, to let the disease run its course, or was there some medical therapy that uh, that helped? No, you? I found a. Um, Dr. Richard Horowitz is up in the Hudson Valley, which is the heartland of of, of Lyme disease. disease. Yeah, well, I'm I'm pretty sure the town of Lyme is there, which I think is where the disease was originally named. Yeah, yeah. Um, he developed all these different um, multi antibiotic therapies um, to try and cure his wife, who had chronic Lyme. I probably mm -hmm. had this disease, you know, ten or fifteen years. 20 years before it was diagnosed. So um, right. 
when they've been in you that long, it is really hard to kill them and to kill the resistors. And mm -hmm. like cancer and diseases like that, you can kill a lot of it, but if you don't kill the resistors, it just comes back. And that's right. I've been going round and round since, uh, yeah, since 2006, getting better and then my body's relapsing you gotta get yep. the rest and relapsing yeah so mm -hmm. uh, hopefully this is uh, <laughs> so this is a song i wrote <clears throat> when i was thinking that one day i would be free of the disease and it uh <laughs> resonates with what's going on in the streets today. Look over yonder, see my freedom come. Look over yonder, see my freedom come. All this worry and trouble, sure I ain't gonna help you now. Seem like a dark, cold night. Well, I've been walking. Seems like a dark, cold night. Things I've been thinking give my poor heart such a fright. I've been a prisoner. Lord, I have been a slave. Lord, I have been asleep. If you let fear rule you, drive me to your grave. It's uh you know. Well, hold on a minute. Let's <laughs> let's let's hear a little of that. That was that was pretty nice there, <laughs> Jesse. <laughs> it just um there's this terrible anxiety that comes with Lyme disease. I mean, and it, and you're terrified, but nothing's wrong. Mm -hmm. There's no beast about to eat you. And, um, you know, but you're terrified. And it is the wickedest part of this disease. For me, it was. It was mm -hmm. the hardest to get beyond without uh so this was look over yonder see my freedom come i was just dreaming of the day which i am this is i'm, I'm about 14 months into i guess uh, uh, being free of lime and uh oh that's fantastic so yeah this good for you good for you good for you and great song by the way so so let's uh, let's talk about the new podcast and why you decided to uh, do this show and what you hope to accomplish uh, with tripping on my roots. I kind of fell into it. Um, that's just, I guess that's just Connie's and my style. We were having coffee. We grow coffee. I was going to say it's probably your own coffee. <laughs> yeah, we we grow it in Kona and. Uh, that's where we lived for 12 years. 
after the we got burned out of California. Yeah, Inverness, yeah. And she's looking, you know, um, Blind Willie McTell wrote Statesboro Blues. Mm-hmm. And that... Everybody knows the Allman Brothers version, but yes. Right. But it was on the Young Bloods' first album also. And mm. interesting, a damn good version of it, really. You know, full of... Do you, do you ever talk to Greg about uh, about that? No, I never did. I never did. But I loved their version of it, too. But the Young yeah, Bloods, yeah. you know... There they were in the South. I'm in New York. We're listening to the same old records because they're coming out on folkways. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so Connie said, honey, Blind Willie McTell is buried in Thompson, Georgia, 40 miles from here. She said, why don't we just get in the car and go over there and see what's going on and you know and I'll shoot some things with a microphone and so we did and that and and Thompson Georgia celebrates they have a blind Willie McTell um blues festival every year and they have 12 12 strings kind of these art 12 strings made out of whatever uh, the artist used all, spread over the lawns of some of the businesses in the downtown. There's a big mural that has, you know, somebody jumping a horse and then blind Willie McTell sitting next uh, to them. And that's, you know, saying like, that's, we got blues, we got horse, uh, uh, shenanigans. This is what our community is all about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, what a, uh, so state, uh, we went on and we went and visited his grave. And we started hearing some of the stories. Um, and I forget the name of the guy. It's in the, it's in the episode. The first, this is our first episode. We came back and we just, we looked at the, we looked at the footage with Connie shooting and, and, um, and our videographers just said, you know, this has got to be done with cameras these days. This, um, so we got a crew and went back and did it. And, you know, you talk about the writing. It took me a week at least just to write. You know, I'm not, well, of course, I've never done, I've never been a, uh, a master of ceremonies or whatever the heck I am in this. Right, uh, right. A host. You are, you are a host. Yes. A host. Um, and, you know, it's a lot of digging around you got to do to find out um, what happened, especially with, you know, people who passed away, there's no talking to them. So, yeah, especially uh, those old blues guys, which, uh, you know, their, their legend and their myth and their reality can be three completely different stories. Yeah. So, um, I mean, when we went back with the crew, boy, I took a stool and I sat there, um, it was raining a little bit and I sat there, uh, by, Blind Willie's grave, he was, uh, until 15 years ago, I think, or 12 years ago, he was buried under the wrong name. Mm. He was buried under whoever one of his cousins made the funeral arrangements, and he was buried with a very crude gravestone under that name until um, 
it's actually a writer and a musicologist said, what, this guy's a legend. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a gravestone that says, blind Willie McTell, blues legend, and has a picture of a 12 string. And that's, that's the stone that sits on his grave now. And what a pleasure. That's great. To sit there in that little graveyard, this little tiny church, mm-hmm. um, right outside of Thompson, Happy Valley, and sing uh, Statesboro Blues for Willie. I don't know. I can't remember whether part of that has got to be in the in the episode, but that was the most thrilling part for me. I really felt like I was singing to him. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm sure he heard you, <laughs> <laughs> and he was very happy about that because that keeps his name alive. So that was the first one, and uh, that made you guys kind of say wow, I think we got something. Well, we took it into the studio and I did the voiceovers and, and um, our videographer, uh, Jason Sigler, you know, he said, well, we need something to tie this together and the disc, and I suggest this, and, and you can rewrite that and whatever. And so, yeah, I did the writing. Yeah, it took me a week of, mm-hmm. um, you know, with 12 or 20, um, sources to come up with this story that I think uh, was put together. And then Connie and I wrote, the, we said, God, we got a theme song. So <clears throat> out popped that little um, song trip. The little ditty, first. yeah. What do we call yeah. this? And but it's in, um, I don't know how we got there. I don't know whether that's Connie's idea, um, but that's what it is. I'm tripping on yeah. the blues. Uh, yeah. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be back in a bit.
And now back to the program. Yeah, it's part travelogue. It's part, um, you know, uh, historical uh, uh, explanation of, uh, you know, the, the various guests or, uh, you know, the, the people that you uh, were inspired by. Uh, and then interpretation, your own interpretations of uh, some of their songs, which is really amazing. Uh, of course, the last one with Steve Miller was you and Steve doing, uh, you know, your song, uh, uh, Get Together. Yeah. So a uh, little bit different, but uh, but just, you know, it's amazing to have your voice, which is, you know, iconic and have that play their songs uh, in a in a new way. It's very refreshing. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. I thought it came out beautifully. And we wanted to do it. I wanted to do it in this election year because uh, I knew we were going to need some love. Um, well, uh, yeah, and, and that leads me to my next question. So, um, you know, uh, let's talk about your very roots. Okay, you're you're you were born in Queens. So, yeah, what is wrong with the president? <laughs> well, he was born in the wrong part of Queens. <laughs> yeah, and he didn't have it. It seems like he didn't have a a very nice family. So. I, yeah, that's what it's starting happy. to sound like. Huh? Yeah, my father played piano. He was a, an accountant, uh, actually a com controller for a French perfume company. But when he came home, he would play, play classical music to unwind on the piano. And of course, play for us. I mean, this was, um, I don't think, he didn't buy us a television until I was 10. So singing around the piano, singing in the car with my sister and my mother who had this beautiful beautiful soprano voice um that's where the voice comes in the family and um yeah so you were you were surrounded with music yeah from the very i was start yep and of course they taught us camp songs my father taught me mm -hmm. every harvard fight song my father, <laughs> my father went to that's right your father's a graduate of harvard that's right he's a graduate of harvard and um back in the day when um, his mom was a nanny from Nova Scotia. She came to Boston to be a nanny for some kids. And when she fell in love with my grandfather, she said, if those boys that I was taking care of are going to Harvard, my sons. So. God bless her. Yeah, really. I mean, they had to start saving their money i mean it wasn't outrageous like it was but they were you know it's still and it was still difficult to get into uh even yeah. at that time my dad yeah it may not may not been as uh, uh economically prohibitive as it is today but it still was uh not an easy task to get into that school no my dad's not unless you knew somebody yeah well <laughs> but they just you know my dad i think he got in when he was 16. he He's very bright, and uh, um, so that was that was Queens for ten years, um, and I went to a little school down the street. I went to school with the fourth grade with Simon and Garfunkel. I was going to say Paul Simon <laughs> and Bart Garfunkel, Queens, <laughs> and I didn't get to know Paul, but I think he was in our class and. But I did get to know Artie a little. And mm -hmm. I remember Artie came down. I was playing Gertie's Folk City 
in uh, the village. In the village, right. When my album first came out, my soul of a city boy, solo mm. album. And uh, yeah, and that was like 62, 63. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was, oh, it was way before those boys. Well, they were, no, yeah. So he came down and I. Well, now, of course, they had that one hit, you know, that one yeah. hit in 57. But uh, from, I said, Artie, it's Artie from fourth grade. I, and um, I was saying, oh, Artie, I got this record deal. And gee whiz, isn't this fabulous? And all this kind of stuff. And he looked at me kind of deadpan and said, I make records too. <laughs> I thought, Artie, Artie, what is his last name? Holy shit. It's oh, Art Garf Garfunkel. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> so one of the the highlight of my embarrassing, embarrassing <laughs> career was <laughs> I was right there. <sighs> because yeah, was, you know that sounds of silence sounds of silence. song. Well, that's uh, me. <laughs> just you know, that changed radio. Oh yeah, no acoustic music on 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 pop radio until song Sound of Silence. So God, yeah, yeah, busted yeah. it open for all of us. Mm -hmm. and I was a big fan. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, uh, I take it your parents. Uh, you know, as we as we said, they they were musical. Um, yeah, how did they feel about you? You know, choosing a career in music, uh, especially with a dad who's an accountant. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they, I never considered it. Um, we moved from New York to Pennsylvania and the school was not as sharp as the public high school in, um, in New York. Yeah. My dad, um, and I, I think my uncle might've, my dad put my, uh, they were six years apart. So my dad graduated Harvard and the two years of business school and then put his brother through teaching, you know, as a young teacher at Harvard before he left to do business. So, um, and his brother, John, my uncle went on to spend his life at Yale, teaching economics and being a president pro tem and the head of the graduate school. And he actually told me once, he said, you know, I got off light when they were doing the, the demonstrations because I was your uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, 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 <laughs> my nephew wrote get together. Okay. So <laughs> I can, I can hear that. That would work. That would work for me. Uh, I, I, I totally get that. So, wow. Wow. So, uh, you, uh, you know, you, you have some early influences, uh, you know, obviously some bluesmen, Lightning Hopkins, Mississippi, John Hurt, T-Bone Walker, but I found it interesting. You're also a big fan of Pete Seeger. Yeah. I mean, Pete was really the first, they, you know, um, McCarthy, him and, him and, him and Woody, I think, uh, you know, they, or, when, you know, the godfathers of folk music. In that red scare, um, from McCarthy, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Joseph McCarthy, Senator right. Joseph Tailgunner McCarthy. Yeah. He, um, they blacklisted the, uh, what was Pete's band called? The Weavers. Weavers, right. And so the only place that he could work was in colleges. Mm -hmm. So they really, they focused this 
American folk music through Pete and other, and then a mass of uh, those of us who were following. Um, yeah, they opened this whole folk revolution by doing something really evil. Um, it turned out, you know, it's kind of like COVID. Yeah, uh, karma is a bit of a bitch, isn't it? Uh, you know, uh, I, I had this thought the other day. You mentioned Senator Joseph McCarthy. McCarthy, his lawyer was Roy Cohn. Yes. Donald Trump's lawyer and mentor was Roy Cohn. Yes. So it's almost like we've gone full circle. Yeah, in, full this, circle in, the, in, the, in the wrong direction. Right? In the wrong direction. Right. Yeah. Counterclockwise. <laughs> We're heading backwards. <laughs> Definitely. But uh, but yeah, so I mean, because you have a, a definite uh, a balance of, of you know a folk soul uh, and a bluesman soul. Yeah, and I, uh, Soul of a City Boy was that kind of record. Uh, one song would be country, and the next one would be a song I wrote for Lightning Hopkins, because I got to know Lightning, and uh, he and John Hurt both right at the beginning. I think I met Lightning before before I actually had a record out, but I was just beginning to play basket houses. Mm -hmm. He used to hold court and wherever he was staying, um, I couldn't afford to go see him, <laughs> but he would play in whatever apartment it was. Uh, he would play in the afternoons and for ever, whoever assembled and you know, it was really, it was, well, yeah, going to school. Um, I met John Sebastian at one of these things. He had a this bandolero full of harmonicas, you know, the whole um, something the Mexican banditos would wear. Or, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Instead of bullets filled with harmonicas, right? <laughs> yeah. That's so John Sebastian, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> So let's get let's talk about the village because uh, you spent a, a fair amount of time there. Uh, you know, one of the true building blocks of uh, geographies when it comes to rock and roll. Uh, you know, you know. So tell us a little bit about what it was like to be in that vibrant atmosphere, just as the explosion of this, you know, first folk music and then rock and roll is taking off. I mean, you you got people like Sebastian, uh, Maria Muldor, Jim Queskin, even Bob Dylan hanging around at that time. So, yeah, I missed this part of the story. Um, so my dad suggested I go to prep school because the high school wasn't good as as uh, as good as um, I was used to, and I was kind of getting bored. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Phillips Andover, and they um, they offered classical guitar. So I'm. It's just turning 16, still 15, I think, when I started there. And uh, I couldn't believe it. So I said, signed up. And they gave me this awful Stella guitar with the, had the action like <laughs> three feet, three feet off the off the fretboard. <laughs> but um, and of course, I was supposed to I still used the, the classical approach of like thumb mm -hmm. and three fingers just because 
that's how I started. But I mean, I never got very far with classical guitar, but that, that love affair and it was burning hot and uh, I had calluses pretty soon, so. And then they kicked me out for playing the guitar during study hours when I was a senior. Well, that doesn't make much sense. Well, I was on, I was a scholarship boy. So I was on probation from being late to my, I had to punch in at six in the morning and serve at the commons for breakfast. And uh, so I got too many, one minute, two minutes, three minutes late. So then they put me on probation. So, um, but I had a concert the next day. I didn't even think about that. And my, so my house master comes 10 weeks without a demerit. It was a miracle for me, you know. <laughs> and Oh, I know what kind of guy you are. Right, right. <laughs> he came to, he came to congratulate me and there I was playing a guitar. So he got me kicked out. And, oh. and I went off to Ohio State, which was looking for kicked out boys to start their, uh, they would at starting an advanced program of, um, of, of some kind of, so they took me on. And that is where I discovered T-Bone Walker, mm -hmm. living behind a record store. And uh, I would go in there and I said, what's that guy doing with the guitar up behind his head? So T-Bone's famous uh, kind of album that came out in 1960 um, that was recorded by Ahmed Erdogan. Okay. Yeah, T-Bone has the guitar beat. What's he doing? <laughs> he said, well, he kind of plays it that way sometimes just for fun. I said, really? Okay, I got to. You can do that? Wow. Can I take this home? Um, so he let me take it home and tape it. I couldn't really afford the record, but I had a tape machine. My dad had bought me one because I got into music. So, and B.B. King and Ray Charles. So they're at, at Ohio State, surrounded by everyone in Bermuda shorts with crew cuts. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm reading Jack Kerouac and, and, and listening to the blues. On the road, right. Yep. So that's, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I dropped out for a year. I, I only got through the first semester, but um, when I came back to school, I transferred to NYU and there I was, you know. Yeah, that's in the village. I'm going to class, you know, and I'm going up the stairways and I'm looking out and there's these people playing music around the, uh, uh, the fountain there in Washington. Yeah. George Washington Park. Right? What are they What's going on around here? Why they don't they have jobs? <laughs> so I don't know. You know, I, after after a year at NYU, I I I joined them because I, you know, I had gotten to know the village and I saw the basket houses, which were, hmm. if you could play, you could they'd let you in there and play a little bit and see if you could get some money. So at, at one point in my life, that that really. Uh, that supported me. I was yeah, fed you. Yeah, fed. that that I'm sure you. I'm sure you did your fair amount of busking as well. Well, you know, there was no busking in the street because it was all they. They probably wouldn't have allowed it. 
Oh yeah, that's right. It was it was kind of illegal. Uh, yeah, the uh, not not only did the uh, the city government uh, frown on the, what was going on in the village, but even the paper, the New York Times, uh, the 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 old gray lady, the, the what people think of as the liberal paper, was not a fan of uh, some of that those activities as well. Yeah, wow, that's too bad. It's crazy. It's good. yeah, it's. You know, you, you you know, as we've gone back and uh, you know done our research on uh, some of the stuff, it is it is amazing to find what uh, what kind of um, uh, barriers uh, that uh, were put up. Uh, you know, especially for uh, the early rock and rollers, mostly due to the racial lines. Uh, you know, that's probably the biggest reason why the establishment uh, frowned on uh, this music that the kids were playing. Um, but, uh, you know, once it starts to get political, wow, they, they really need to watch out. Well, it got political. It certainly did. It certainly did. So, but, uh, yeah, that must've been just incredibly vibrant. I mean, you know, so the point is, I guess, do you recognize as at the time, you know, it's, uh, you know, history is made after the fact, um, in most cases, but every once in a while you get, you get a story of where people go look around and say, holy crap, I know something's going on and I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm a part of it. Did you, did you feel that or did you just not recognize it at the time? No, I felt it. I, I had actually, I quit school and then I moved in with my girlfriend and then I had to have a job. And I got a job at the Rockefeller Foundation. Mm, I don't know why. I was buying <laughs> medical equipment for Latin American universities. Uh, how I got that job is beyond me. Not a bad gig. Yeah, but I hated it. Um, <laughs> and so I had done, that was the final one that I said, you know, here you're you're in the village. There's this stuff going on with music. You're playing. Maybe <clears throat> you know this goes back to the Harvard thing. And uh, my, my family never, when I was young, never considering music as a way of life, a career choice, living. So yeah, I finally just said, well, you know, here I am. I'm gonna try this. You know, because uh, but actually, I had that straight job. Um, I had it the night that I recorded Soul of a City Boy, um, my first album. Yeah, with Bobby Scott. With Bobby Scott. And I just mm -hmm. came in there, borrowed a guitar from my good friend, Stuart Cutchins, who was my, would end up being our manager for the Youngbloods. And because um, mine was in Hawk. And um, <laughs> Bobby Scott said, Come here, kid. <clears throat> just <clears throat> sit on the stool and play everything you know. So four hours later, you know, he picked the songs as I went along. I mean, the album was done. He, he had, uh, yeah, what a trip. And then I was waiting, uh, then I was waiting for it to come out. And that took a little while because the Beatles were happening and I was on Capitol. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, they tend to suck the oxygen out of anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was another year before that, and luckily, so that's when I got into I I, uh, I 
I was in a rent strike. So I had no rent for about nine months. And so I could actually, if I made 10 bucks in the basket house, we could eat. Mm -hmm. uh, and anything more was gravy. So I, there I was playing all day, practicing up for these um, coffee house gigs. Um, pretty skinny money, but uh, it worked. And, uh, and I made it once my album came out and, you know, I started being, you were on your way. I had, yeah, I signed with William Morris and started playing. David Geffen was one of my agents. Oh, uh, when he was with William Morris. Right. Right. Yeah. Before him and Elliot Robinson, uh, took off and started their own thing. Wow, that's very early on, very early for him. So that's kind of cool. So you, as, as we've discussed, you know, you, you, you start off as a solo player, uh, you know, and good, good on you bringing it back here uh, in 2020. So why did the Young Bloods come about, the creation of a band? I got to be uh, Corbett, Jerry Corbett. He was part of the Cambridge folk scene. And really, the Boston Cambridge folk scene was much bigger than the New York folk scene. It there were probably thirty clubs up there, you know. Besides the basket houses, which were really, um, you know, like actual clubs that paid musicians to play, there were only three or four in the village. Mm -hmm. uh, but thirty in Boston, so I was up there a lot, and I met Corbett, I guess. I don't know. I must have met him at the 47. Maybe he came in to hear me or, but, um, and I used to stay with a fellow named Ed Freeman, uh, when I was up there because we had the same manager, um, in those days, you know, you couldn't have, they didn't pay you enough to stay in a hotel when you right. book music. Um, and I met a sound check. And somebody hands me a note. It's from Corbett. It says, don't go to home to Ed Freeman's house. Uh, come to my house. So I did that. And it turns out the police were at Ed Freeman's house. Um, oh, gee. Uh, busting uh, <laughs> probably drugs. <laughs> yes. yes. He sold a joint. Probably that evil marijuana. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> that evil weed. So, and so... I stayed there that night and Corbett and I became fast friends and we started, he had this little porch on the back of his, and we started playing on the porch and has an incredible uh, ability to hear harmonies and sing them. And, uh -huh. uh, and our voices, uh, sometimes when I listen to them now, they sound like one, they're like two like blood harmony, uh, like maybe the, like an Everly Brothers yeah. type of thing. Very much so. Mm. Very much so. Yeah. Nobody has ever sung that, um, that way with me. He was supposed to come here and um, we were supposed to retire here in South Carolina and sit on the porch and play, but he, he didn't make it. Um, of all the drugs he wrestled with and got clean from that was, cigarettes were not one and that that one killed him so 
I'm Connie was yelling at him this morning saying, damn it, Jerry, we, we were out on you being here and uh, we miss you. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. That's those, those relationships that, uh, you know, as you said, uh, you know, you, you've never found anybody that uh, blends voices uh, in your, you know, we're, we're, we're talking almost a 60 year career here. That's pretty incredible that you, you couldn't find somebody that could, you know, maybe not exceed it, but might be able to get close to it. And I can tell that uh, that was, uh, you know, one of those special once in a lifetime things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I should have. I remember Neil Young saying to me, he, he had a place in Hawaii when we were living there. And uh, he said, boy, I want to hear you and Corbett sing together again. You, at this point, I was having so much trouble with Lyme disease that I was terrified to fly. He said, you know, you guys just come to my studio and we'll make a record. But I never took him up on it because I was mm. uh, deep in the throes of that awful disease. That's just making me, making me crazy. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, you got to take care of your health first uh, before anything. So when those get in the way, you know, everything else uh, gets pushed to the side. So, <clears throat> so you guys create the band. Um, you end up being the house band at Cafe Agogo. That must have been pretty cool. I got to open for Muddy Waters. Come on. <laughs> it doesn't get any better than that. You know? No, it doesn't get any better. Than that. No. <laughs> that's, no. That's crazy. I can't even imagine standing in his presence, much less <laughs> opening for the guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's a pillar, uh, an actual pillar of... Uh, and James Cotton was in the band at that time. And James, oh, okay. James and I became friends because we played some, some when he was playing solo in his band we uh, mm -hmm. but that was the first place i ever heard him was playing with muddy or mm -hmm. band that was sam lay playing drums um wow and all the songs from of course the best of muddy waters which i had you know might have been the fourth record blues record i ever bought and yeah, so all yeah. The tunes were deeply ingrained in my psyche, and uh, still are. Still to this day, hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. hell yeah, yeah. All right, out of the band comes an anthem that we're all familiar with. Even even today, it has uh, relevance. Maybe especially today. In fact, I just serendipitously got to hear you sing it along with some members of the little kids rock organization um as part of cnn's fourth of july celebration um but i didn't understand this the the song didn't immediately become a hit uh i, I think it wasn't until it was included in a public service commercial for christians and jews that it turns into a hit well first it comes out in 1967 Right. And it is a hit in San Francisco and on the North Coast, I think Portland and Seattle. And that's a yeah. Hit. So a regional yeah. hit. Yeah. And it makes sense. It, it fits very well with the summer of love. Yeah. I mean, that well, I, we flew into the summer of love. It was June 15th. We're playing the Avalon for the first time. Um, and we know nothing about the San Francisco scene. Um, 
I walk in and I, uh, in this cheap hotel we're staying at, and there's this little um, four mica thing with the radio in. I turn the radio on and there's Get Together. Was that the first time you heard it on the radio? Yes. Oh, wow. I mean, and then we walk down the street to the Avalon Ballroom and it's full of people with the more hair and dope and whatever. It's just, just crazy. And, you know, so we went home. Uh, we fell in love and, and they loved us. And we thought, hey, we could work here and maybe even make a living. <laughs> right. Yeah, we went home and finished earth music and packed up and, and we moved to the country outside of, uh, of San Francisco. We, I guess it was so beautiful in West Marin. And we yeah. had been the drummer's brother lived out there, Joe Bauer's brother, uh, John. And it was so beautiful out there. We just mm -hmm. thought, we're, we're self-contained. We don't have to live in the city. I mean, we've been living in the city. I yeah. on, on the east side for seven years, including college. And yeah, it was time. So you didn't do what uh, you know, uh, like uh, the Dead did, and uh, Janice and uh, Big Brother and the Holding Company. They they were down the street from the Dead, and even I think the airplane. Uh, they had a couple of houses in the Hate. Mm -hmm. So you didn't you bypassed the Hate right away and said, "No, <clears throat> let's go over the bridge," which is where all those people ended up. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so you were uh, kind of a pioneer for uh, <laughs> for the Marin move out of the city. Yeah, I mean, they were still shooting at hippies and um, and going <laughs> rays. This was cattle, um, uh, dairy ranches, and yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't uh, the uh, the the hippie fest that it's known for today. No, it was not. No, not out there in the country. But you know, um, but it was country. I mean, when my when my uh, barracuda blew up. The guy in the local garage fixed it and just let me pay it off. You know, I couldn't afford six hundred dollars for the and the motor just blew, and they so and the store. If you forgot your checkbook, they'd say, "Well, bring me one tomorrow." <laughs> like, <laughs> and if you brought up in New York, like I was, nobody does then. <laughs> no. So no. It, it yeah, it was it was not only beautiful but the the people were real in a in a in, a, in this lovely way that I, I was not getting on the Lower East Side, uh, and yeah, yeah, a wonderful place to raise kids. It's still it's still a bit like that around here. Uh, you know, it's very cosmopolitan city. Uh, you know, and you know, obviously this is a liberal bastion uh, that, uh, you know, the right loves to point at and mm -hmm. say everything is wrong in America is found here, which I find absolutely, <laughs> utterly ridiculous. Because um, all I know is that I love all my neighbors. My neighbors love me. Uh, it's great. Uh, everybody is, uh, you know, all after basically the same thing, which is, you know, uh, a good life. Uh, and uh, we should celebrate that, uh, regardless of who you are or where you come from. Yes, sir. And that's... Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what San Francisco still still it brought back in the '60s, and it's it's still here. Yeah, well, it was a a door opener for us because there we were. We we had a new home, and um, then the uh, National Council of Christians and Jews picked up Get Together 
and put it in a um, a Brotherhood commercial. Yeah, TV commercial. Right. Um, and that was on late night television. And I think that I don't. I think that may have been the first time I heard it. Was just mm -hmm. like run across it, like, "Hey, we're on television." <laughs> uh, uh, you know, late at night, and when they put the PSAs on, when the, they figure it, cheapest, uh, cheapest ad rates, right? Yeah, except for the kids. So there we were, and that yes, that led to its second release, really, uh, Augie Bloom was the head of promotion for Warners for uh, RCA. Oh, RCA. Yeah, RCA. And uh, he said, we're going to put this record out again. It's time now. You know, the, the, the love thing had worked its way in from the coast into the heartland. And he, and he said, the country's ready for get together now. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the president said, no, we don't do that. And he said, yeah, you'll do it or you'll you kiss me goodbye. And uh, they didn't want to lose Augie Bloom. So they let him do it. And, you know, so many things, the, the way uh, the, the, the first time, um, I wish I'd have written Get Together, but I did not write it. Yeah. But I heard it in the village. And I just happened to wander into the Cafe Gogo thinking it might be dark and we could rehearse. And there was an open mic going on. And I was so disappointed for a second because oh, we can't rehearse. And then I heard that song, Buzzy Lenhart was singing it. I'd seen Buzzy play vibes with Tim Harden, but I didn't know he was a singer and a, a mm. guitar player. And there he was. And I just, um, you know, the heavens parted. Just like in the movies about uh, God coming to earth. <laughs> um, it just, that song just stole my heart. And I ran backstage, in which I'd never done, because I hate it when people crash into my dressing room, but I, I couldn't help it. I said, oh, Buzzy, I got to have the lyrics, man. And I, you know, I had, I think he, I think he was a lefty and he played upside down, but I, I mean, the chords are not that hard. So I, I had them and, uh, and I guess I had the melody or, um, although Dino, you know, there's some recordings of Dino singing, uh, Dino Valenti wrote the song, uh, mm -hmm. Quicksilver mm -hmm. now, and, um, Maybe it's a little different, but I, I took it into rehearsal with the Youngbloods the next day, and I was the bass player. I had become the bass player because we couldn't get a good bass player. And, um, you know, Corbett and Banana were both um, much better lead players than I was. I was really a folk picker, you know. Um, and so bass was, what an adventure that was for me to just say, oh, I'm in a band and now I'm gonna play a different. Yeah, now you're gonna play bass. And, uh, yeah, and we got a jazz drummer, and uh, bananas into Jimmy Reed, and Corbett's into ragtime, and I'm, you know, and so we had to make a band out of these uh, disparate parts. Disparate, yeah. But that isn't that how art works, though. You 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 take various pieces, then 
you, you think don't really connect together. And then you kind of put them together and work it out, smooth off the edges and create something new. Yes, Get Together is a beautiful record. It's a very pure record. Mm-hmm. It was a five and a half minute record and there was no pressure on it to be a hit. There was a lot of, you know, pressure from record companies like, come on, we need a hit. Oh, of course. That's a, it was all about a hit. Nobody yeah. was uh, saying, you know, let's chop this down to three minutes and 15 seconds. Yeah, so we can get more radio airplay, right? And, and, and nobody even looked at Get Together. Mm-hmm. When it first, uh, Grizzly Bear was the first single, you know, something up-tempo mm-hmm. and fun. And that yeah. Corbett, Corbett bringing ragtime, because he was way <laughs> into ragtime. Yeah. So, yeah, this, the heavens opened. And, yeah. I, I mean, my life... You know, I, it was it was a big blinking arrow that said this way. Yeah, this this is uh, you know this is a a, a giant uh, hit in '69. It's um, you know and you know as I said, it's anthemic. It fits so well various times. Uh, it obviously fit perfectly in 1969. Um, I might ask, you know, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned Tim Harden, uh, you know, who was on the Woodstock bill, but you guys weren't on the yes. Woodstock bill. What what happened there? Someone screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. We were playing. You know, we uh, we were. By the time the ask came around, we were already playing at the at um, I forget Bill's not. Uh, we were playing for Bill Graham in San Francisco. Oh, oh, Again. oh, oh, Harrison. well, then, then I know what the problem is. Yeah. Because uh, the, the, Bill did not let a couple of people out of their contracts <laughs> to go and do this Woodstock. Yeah, thing, Woodstock. Might say. Woodstock, Schmudstock. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I, yeah. I love Bill. He brought, oh, his, yeah. he brought his mother to see me once when really? I was playing in this. Uh, no, not his sister. Interim. His sister, uh, his mother passed in Germany. Uh, she never made it out uh, oh, of Nazi Germany. Her mom. Yeah, but the sister, his sister, sister had brought his um, sure. an aunt or something too. Maybe, two maybe. Older uh, old, older yeah, he was he was the youngest of yeah. the of the of the brood. Yeah. So um, uh, I think he was. Uh, I think he had four other sisters. So. But uh, yeah, I can imagine still bringing his family. He must have really been impressed by you. Well, yeah, I was surprised because he always would, you know, he'd either come into the dressing room and say, what is it, amateur night? Have you guys tuned yet? You know, and I, we didn't have, uh, we didn't have these lovely little. Uh, yeah, tuners like we do today. <laughs> it's all by ear. <laughs> because we had a keyboard player. You would have had to wander out stage and I don't know how we tuned. Um, and you know get an a off the so yes uh, and uh, when i played the crosby still nash young tour oh we'll get to that <laughs> yes bill would always say 45 minutes right jess <laughs> and then when i came off it was always like uh, an hour <laughs> you're always you know and i mean there's eighty thousand people there and um you know 500 union guys <laughs> and um Bill was trying to, but he never, yeah, he never said, 
what is it, amateur night? I, mean, I remember he was amazed that I, I had another career. All of a sudden, the Youngbloods were gone and had, and then here was Song for Julie and. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it was kind of my third career. It was folk, it was Youngbloods, and then. And then the solo, <laughs> yeah. So, but before we get there, yeah. let me ask about the Youngbloods, the Youngbloods' third album, Elephant Mountain, which was produced by the recently departed Charlie Daniels. So, rest in peace. What can you say about working with Charlie back in the day? Uh, Charlie was a sweetheart. I mean, it, he's one of those guys that never met a stranger. Just. And he said to me, Jess, you know, some artists need you to, to get behind them and kick them in the butt. And, and then some of them need you to, to uh, stand in front and slow them down. <laughs> but he said, I think you guys just need me to be here. Because two songs into that album, Corbett left the band. Mm -hmm. He had decided that he was too paranoid to fly or whatever. I mean, uh, he did a lot of experimenting with drugs in those days. And um, wow, man, that was like, so there we were. And Charlie, we just went at it like, okay, we're, we're doing a trio. We had recorded maybe two songs. I think, don't let the rain bring you down. Uh, was a, actually Corbett Papalardi tune that I then had to, had, I think we had a track for it, but I ended up doing the vocal, um, you know, because Corbett was gone. Right. That, that was tough. But we did, you know, all those little instrumentals and stuff. That That was us like discovering each other as a trio and me kind of getting into the, uh, the rhythm section because it was kind of like it was those guys and then it was Corbett and I out mm -hmm. singing and um, and then you know I somewhere in the middle I met him and Banana wrote some really cool stuff and other things came to us as jams um, just because when we weren't recording we were fooling around you know figuring out what to do with all the space that Corbett had left. And uh, yeah, so most of Elephant Mountain was just the trio, uh, mm -hmm. Sunlight, Darkness, all uh, those songs, just the trio. And Charlie was there rooting, you know, just keeping us rooted. Um, and I guess that's what he meant about just being there. Because he was there. And, mm -hmm. I know we had a party when it was all over and he came out Point Reyes and we had this, I, I was living on this little tiny house on the water with a hundred acre front yard, which occasionally they would run some cows in it, but so whoever owned it out of And uh, Charlie came out and we had this huge party. It was wonderful. Um, yeah, I was sad to see him. Uh, sad to see head him. On, <clears throat> head on, head on to the, uh, yeah. The recording studio but up in the sky. I know. The first thing I did when I heard that Charlie died, I looked up and said, Corbett, 
he's coming. <laughs> Those guys, after Elephant Mountain, they formed the Corbett Daniels Band. Charlie Daniels was wearing a suit, had milk bottle, milk bottle bottom glasses and short hair when he produced Elephant Mountain. And I didn't know. And he didn't tell me he was a picker. He never brought a guitar or didn't have a fiddle or, you know, he was just, uh, I think it, the producer guy. Yeah, the suit. The guy. <laughs> and so he, yeah, he and Jerry, that first band, Charlie produced the Corbett album. Corbett produced a Charlie album. And then they, they made the Corbett Daniels band and went out and played those chicken wire, you know, with pistols yeah. back in the yeah. amps and, and uh, the, the chicken wire bars and, and the, they should have stayed together. I mean, Corbett, yeah, he quit that band same as he did the Youngbloods, you know, just to, before it took off. Well, I don't think he can quit where he's at now. So, uh, no, they like are forming a new band. <laughs> I just said, look out for him now. <laughs> yeah, transition. Go, yeah, go down there and get him. And mm -hmm. you guys better, better warm up the heavens with the, um, because they were tight. They were. Yeah, yeah. They were both Georgia. Both. I think Charlie was born in Georgia. Corbett certainly was. I. We uh, we buried him down there with his right. He wanted to be buried next to his family mm. in this little town, um, Omega, Georgia, and where he, I guess, where his folks were born. So, yeah, yeah. So um, you know, why did the young bloods? Um dissolve uh you know i mean you obviously went to a three-piece <clears throat> was it just time did it just run its course or was there a, a well we had a, event we had a couple we had a couple good years because elephant mountain came out in 69 get together yeah. was a hit in 69 hmm. for the second time and a much bigger hit so we had a couple good years as a trio as a trio or maybe three um and then I, yeah, we just wore, we ran out of, just ran out of steam. We ran out of steam and, and, um, the magic wasn't there. And I started dreaming of, I started holding songs back that I was writing. Yeah. Uh, that's telltale for, um, I had done a, a solo project called together, which was like an acoustic guitar and Martin and uh, a drummer and a keyboard player. And then I overdubbed the bass and um, an earthquake. Youngblood's uh, tour manager played some harmonica on it. And uh, that was released on Raccoon. It was called Together. And I just, um, I said, this this is the, I want a band like this. I took the keyboard player and, and the bass and the uh, drummer. Jeffrey Meyer and uh, Scott Lawrence, who was my brother-in-law, my wife's kid, ex-wife's kid sister, a kid, a kid sister, kid brother, and and uh, Scotty, uh, the keyboard player, said, "Lawrence, you sh you should hear this horn player, Jim Rothermel, and and then you should hear this bass player, <laughs> David Hayes." And there it was. I mean. 
this wonderful band. And then, and I had just, I got a check from Three Dog Night. They had a hit on yeah, Moonlight. Did Sunshine, yeah. And I think it was 25 grand. And I said, uh, I this was a year after I'd built a house or maybe it was just, I said, is that enough money to build a little studio down there? And, and it was. And so down in the gully, um, next to the house, which was on top of the ridge, uh, we built a studio and when the house burned down, the studio survived. Yeah. Yeah. Still to this day, still up there. Yes. My daughter, Jazzy. Yeah. Yep. Was running there. So in 1973, you're, you're, you're deep uh, into this very popular sort of singer songwriter scene. Uh, and you have a, a significant hit uh, with the album song for Julie. Uh, you know, uh, how did you feel being able to hit on your own as opposed to with the young bloods? And I have to ask, which I think the answer is Jim, who plays sax on Ridgetop? Yeah. Because that is out of this world. Jim Rothermel. Yeah, he's no longer with us on the planet. He's been gone for maybe 10 years, but man. When he first died, you know, I heard Ridged Up on the radio that day. I said, Jim. Really? A seven minute song on the radio? You don't hear that very often. <laughs> it, yeah. I said, it lives, Jim. Yeah. yeah. You know, when we go, it's still here and mm -hmm. you're still playing your ass off on the radio. <laughs> Now, because this thing is a hit, you know, you're well known out there. Uh, we kind of touched on it, but let's dive into this. You were on that 1974 <laughs> Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young tour, mm. which is legendary. Uh, this is uh, when um, uh, I, 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 the only way I could put it is that I, I asked because it is a, a notorious tour uh, for CSNY um, and obviously provided Christopher Guest the writer of Spinal Tap with uh, many stories to include in that, <laughs> that film. <laughs> so, what, what was it like from your perspective with those four guys apparently going at it uh, or not even talking people have to put notes underneath uh, doors and uh, you know, uh, the famous uh, cocaine story of, I guess somebody dropped a bunch of cocaine into a carpet and they all jumped down and started snorting off the carpet and, you know, was it really, was it really that bad? Was it really that crazy? You know, for us, we were driving in a motorhome. I know Neil had a motorhome, but I had for himself with a, it was great with a, I think it was a Buffalo skull on the front or it might've been. a. <laughs> That's so Neil. Yeah. Was it electric? <laughs> my whole band was in my motorhome and we just, so all the wildness, went on without us. I mean, we had to take off for the next, uh, we drove that whole tour. I drove that motorhome, except we didn't drive it there. You didn't get the private jets uh, <laughs> and the helicopters. Uh, no, and Neil the... was driving his, uh, well, he may have had a driver, but he had a GMC, yeah. which was the other cool. I had a, I can't remember the name of my Revcon. It was, uh, it was nicer of the, nicer than a Winnebago, nice, um, done out of aluminum, um, riveted aluminum, kind of like an airplane. 
Yeah, yeah, like an airstream uh, type of yeah. uh, trailer these days, right? Right. Yeah. So you missed uh, a lot of the craziness yeah. uh, just because you had to travel from uh, town to town uh, out there. Yeah, and um, yeah, I had very uh, uh, very little interaction. You know, we'd get there and we'd do. I wonder if we did sound checks. We had to do a sound check. Yeah, we'd get there with the sound check and then. Uh, and hang around and then open the show and then stay and watch them. Yeah. Well, Sometimes voice, the band yeah. Santana and, yep. uh, and CSNY. Yeah. All in a giant stadium. Yeah. Santana played some of the shows, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. Some of them were just, I, I think we're just me and them, but maybe not. We had Joe Walsh and, in the Bay Area, um, Santana, I know, played in Toronto, and he also played in Chicago, I think. I don't know how many of those shows. Um, and then I think we had Joni Mitchell in London uh, with, uh, yeah. he had, this time was playing with. Jocko. Uh, no, this is the. Um, the guy who kind of became famous as a smooth jazz player, um, but a very excellent saxophonist. You know what I mean? Kenny G. No. No, I don't think he ever played with Johnny. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, that must have been pretty exciting to have her on the bill oh, uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, did you ever sit around and uh, talk to her about her unique tunings? No, no, I was too busy making up my own. <laughs> yeah, I um not much of a hanger adder, I guess. I was real I get this kind of Yankee work ethic that my mm. father must have <laughs> <laughs> and you know, long sound checks and as much sleep as I could get, because I was driving too. Yeah, um, I didn't have a driver. We didn't have room for a driver, and I, I didn't want a driver. I loved to drive in those days. Yeah, yeah. in the motorhome because you're up high and kind of get to talk on the CB and do all that. see all the country. Right? See the country, yeah, it was wonderful. Uh, yeah, that's the thrill has worn off a little with repetition, but. I still everyone I still enjoy a good drive. If yeah. I see a good looking motorhome, I'm thinking yeah, I could do this one more time. <laughs> We'd love to see that happen. So uh, maybe on the other side of this thing we'll get you a new motorhome and uh yeah. get you back out on the and road. Yeah, so like a solo acoustic tour. Yeah. yeah. So you know, another big rock and roll cultural moment is that no nukes concert, uh yeah. which you were a part of as well. So how how did you get involved in that? I'm one of the founders of No Nukes. Um, I had two babies. Let's see, for Julie and Cheyenne. I'm sitting in bed with them on the ridgetop watching the public television. And on come these scientists from the nuclear industry talking about the fact that plutonium, plutonium's half-life being uh, 20 or 25,000 years means that it's not inert un 
till a quarter of a million years. And I'm thinking like, don't these guys have any children? What are they, crazy? And I called up, Jackson and I had done uh, some Redwood benefits with a fellow named Tom Campbell. And he was the only promoter I think I ever worked with for benefits that actually could make money come out at the other end. Mm -hmm. Money left over for the cause. Um, right. And um, I called Tom and he was, he had moved from LA to New Mexico. Um, I think he maybe he's from LA, he's still there. Um, and I said, you gotta come back. We gotta do something about this. We gotta, we, we gotta do a no nukes thing. So he, he moved back to LA and in that first year, I think we played the first show at Cuesta College, first no nukes show, um, David Brownberg and myself at Cuesta College. And it went on from there. I'm sure Jackson was doing, doing them and, uh, I did one with Bonnie. Bonnie and I did a solar in San Luis Obispo, right near that that um, nuclear. Yeah. Uh, uh, what is it? Um, the one in San Luis Obispo is. Uh, oh come on! I, I was just there a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about yeah. it. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, I know the one you're talking about there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which they're getting ready to shut down. They're getting ready to shut that thing down. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. So Bonnie and oh, I boy, that go was... there, and it was the first. They had this big. Uh, the Nonex guys had this big trailer full of solar panels, and I'd never mm -hmm. seen solar panels. But I mean, the trailer was like fifty feet long, had solar panels on both sides, and huge batteries. You know, looked like Diablo candy, and enough to run, um, enough to run a show there that Bonnie and I did. And that was our first, maybe my only solar show that I ever played. Um, I don't know whether they really had enough juice to run the lights because that takes a lot of, but that was, that was near the grounds of, uh, of the, uh, of the nuclear site, right? No, it was right downtown San Luis in, in a theater. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So other people started to get involved and, um, But uh, yeah, they made a they made a movie and everything. I was uh, right there at the beginning. Yeah, um, and as it uh, so it would it made sense for them to invite me, even though I was not part of the Muse thing and part of you know because I didn't live in L.A. and did yeah, uh, you know I was busy going home and riding my motorcycle. <laughs> Well, you were still you were still a big part of it. Uh, you know, you've uh, you've got the a song on the album. You know, yeah. uh, you got the movie oh, there. What a, a, what a wonderful experience was! I was there for the whole week. I got to hear everybody play. I got to hear Gil Scott Heron play. No, I did not. And I mean, when he sang, we almost lost Detroit. This guy knew about news. He knew about this one that's right down the road from me here in South Carolina. Um, way before I did, um, and Sweet Honey in the Rock mm. was there. Besides, I mean, uh, CSN and mm. Springsteen did a night, and I guess I played with, on a night maybe with Jackson and Bonnie, and I don't know. This was Madison Square Garden, so there could have been a bunch of us. Yeah. 
playing on that night. Um, and then the show, there's a beautiful video taken of Get Together. This, oh, it's in the movie. Mm -hmm. There were a quarter of a million people. After that week of no nukes, we played free in Battery Park. And there were supposedly a quarter of a million people there. I mean, it was, it's, it's so funny. I mean, being in COVID now, I mean, they were packed. <laughs> Well, that's why uh, concerts are, you know, one of the last um, options uh, to open uh, when it comes to, um, you know, danger. Uh, it's, you know, unfortunately, what, what it is we do is, uh, you know, one of the worst ways to uh, catch the disease. And yeah. um, we have to all kind of uh, refrain from being in crowds, Um as much as it is the lifeblood of you know what 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 we do it's 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 just it's so weird i mean you know my band got together for the first time last night to rehearse since february and because we have a pay-per-view gig that we've been able to put together but every other gig is you know been lost yeah. and it's just you know it's the times and you know we we've hit on on the several subjects that have gotten us here you know you you mentioned the climate and uh you know just taking care of the earth um and you know I, i've been telling people for a long time that uh, look either we do it or mother nature is going to do it for us and this is this is one of those events this is mother nature biting back and yeah. saying um hey we have a we we have a situation here um and to be honest with you um this is rather nice with a mortality rate of four percent or, or less this is a horrible dangerous epidemic don't get me wrong uh, you know on the scale of the spanish flu um but it could be much worse and if we don't do something this time the next time it's going to be much worse um you know you mentioned the nukes and the fact that uh, you know we're, we're we're deciding a power source that uh, has uh, uh, you know, a waste problem of 25,000 years or more. Who can wrap their head around that to think that, oh yeah, we'll be able to handle this. We've, you know, have seen, um, you know, several, uh, significant nuclear incidents, uh, since no nukes. I mean, around no, nu no nukes was, uh, was three mile Island. Yes. You have Chernobyl, uh, you have, uh, uh, the Japanese, uh, tsunami, which they're still having to deal with. Yeah. No nukes after no nukes. There was not a single reactor made, uh, in the United States. Here. Yeah. 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 That was a great, great thing. All over the world. Uh -huh. We sold them all over the world. And, um, <laughs> which is what, you know, among the 10 stupidest things we ever did. But, um, yeah. Yeah. We, we got to find our way out of it. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, solar, uh, renewables, uh, yes. you know, it's not a silver bullet, uh, but, you know, we, we've done amazing things uh, as, a, as a society. And if we just wrap our heads around it and get together, to use your song, uh, we can, you know, probably muddle our way through and, uh, and get to a, a promised land on the other side. Um, so, you know, not to get too political, but to, let's switch subjects a little bit. Uh, you know, as you, you go from Warner to Electra, 
you know, the music industry is really, really beginning to change, you know, punk, new wave, MTV, the CDs, you know, how did you navigate all of that moving, you know, as a, a guy who's made his name in the 60s, uh, found uh, continued success in the 70s, you know, now music really does make a big shift in the 80s. Um, our politics changed quite rap dramatically in the 80s as well. So how, how, did, how did you navigate through that? Um, well, the first thing I did was make a, a political album, <laughs> which was not well received. We were heading into the mid to the, 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 the me generation was on its way. It came out. Yeah. Yeah. Reaganism all, and all that. Well, right. Dreams that came out, I think in 77. Um, and the whole one side of it is called the American dream suite, which mm. is, um, It's uh, that's a beautiful piece of music. It, it it describes our generation and the things that we lost, and the leaders that died, and what and 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 can we and ask the questions? Can we carry on? Can we carry the dream forward? Mm -hmm. When they killed the Kennedys and killed Martin Luther King, and killed the Malcolm X, and um and countless others that we never heard about. Um, but the last movement, there are like six or seven movements. The last movement is, is um, I do a little thing about the nuclear thing uh, about, called sanctuary. Uh, and then uh, there's a little part where David Lindley plays electric uh, violin. Oh, that genius. And um, called Runaway and uh, makes me feel like running away when I look at nuclear power and, and, and the destructive. Who can conscience leaving their great, 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 great grands a pile of that nuclear crap to poison their children? Um, it, it just it never made any sense to me. So the final movement says, who's going to run the country if we all run away? Mm. Only those people whose love of power is telling them, let's stay. Mm. I mean, it's, yeah. Prophetic. Yes, very prophetic and then not very popular. And so that I don't know, maybe re-release it today, you probably get somewhere with it because uh, it seems like everybody is at least uh, interested in, in politics and what's going on. Yeah. You know, uh, we, we talked about that guy from Queens, not you, that other guy from Queens. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, like all things, there's some sort of silver lining. And usually, you know, one thing, um, you know, I, I, I've told a lot of people is, uh, you know, one, two things about America, you can always count on a backlash to whatever it is uh, that's popular, uh, that'll come. And the second, uh, to quote um, uh, uh, Winston Churchill, uh, Americans uh, will always do the right thing after exhausting every other possibility. Mm, yeah. So here we are. So in 1993, uh, you and your wife, Connie, decided to leave uh, the major labels and, and created your own label, Ridgetop. Uh, why did you feel the need to do so? Well, nobody was paying attention. 
and I wanted to make some records and put them out and mm -hmm. and uh, so Connie said let's do it <laughs> so that's what we did we you know in our house and uh, eventually in a little office downtown we created Rich Top Music and um, I had, uh, so I don't know what the first album was, but eventually I fell in love with Slack Key and started writing Hawaiian you know, tunes, Hawaiian tunes and songs <laughs> in yeah. Hawaiian tunings. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause after, after the, the house burns down in Inverness and even though the studio survives, uh, you guys moved to uh, the big Island and, uh, you get into the coffee business. Uh, what spurred that? Connie's mother said, um, ever since she was three years old, she's been putting seeds in the ground. So, um, we were in Kona. Um, a lot of coffee in Kona. Yeah. None on our place. This little farm that we bought, um, six acres. But um, we honeymooned in that house. We fell in love with it on a trip when we went there, when we, we, we decided to get married in Kona because uh, I loved it so. And I had been going there and playing for several years mm -hmm. solo. Um, and we, um, this real estate agent who was a friend of a friend kept pestering us to look at this house. And we had thought about a house maybe for Connie's family, if it had a lot of bedrooms and stuff for her, all her siblings and stuff um, to rent. And this house was not for rent, but we stopped in there on the way to the airport and we spent an hour or two wandering through this overgrown um, Kona, but with this beautiful uh, kind of Japanese um, architecture um, built by dope growers. <laughs> beautiful house, um, not fancy, but I mean, just wonderful. And we, you know, we fell in love and uh, and we put an offer on it. We closed um, three days before we were married. So we got, we honeymooned there and um, Hawaiian music began to take its, uh, its effect on me. So it was there when the house burned down, we had another house and it was in Kona. And it turned out there was a Waldorf school we were getting ready to spend our lives driving our son from Point Reyes over the hill to a Walder school in um, Lucas Valley. And uh, good Lord, there was, we found a Waldorf kindergarten 10 minutes from our house. And we, wow, okay, we're going to live in Kona. You know, because Connie really wanted to come back. She wanted to come back here to South Carolina. Mm. And uh, I wanted to go to Kona. And, and the Waldorf, having a Waldorf kindergarten well established there. And ah, uh, oh, that was a plus on your argument side. Yes. And, <laughs> and Tristan, my son, who was four, 
Mm. You know, she said, well, I'm full. But you know, but you know, I'm I'm full, but uh, I knew Tristan was coming. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, she had heard about him. Tristan had made a friend of a kid who, in a restaurant in Kona when we were visiting, that went to this school. So one morning we just woke up after the fire and we're all stunned, you know, and I mean, our house disappeared. And, yeah. and um, he said, I want to go to tour school. And we called up, we happened to have the number because the kids had had a play date and we went down there. And, and she said, you know, I've heard about Tristan. I thought he might be coming here. I said, well, boy, it's a hell of a way to get here. <laughs> Lose your house like that, but um, maybe Madame Pele uh, has some work for us to do. The volcano goddess, yes. Yes, and, and the work was to build that kindergarten out into a K through eight Waldorf school, which really, which my my sweetheart spearheaded, mm. uh, and it took took years uh, mm -hmm. to do that. But what a gift! And then uh, before we left, it became a, uh, or I guess after we had left for we left in two thousand six. Connie's family, he was here in South Carolina and she wanted some time with them. Um, but it became a, a public school um, so that all the kids, all the underprivileged kids in up in Kalakakua have got a, a school to go to. I mean, it's got a waiting list off the charts, but because it is still um, Waldorf-inspired curriculum. I guess you just don't say the word God or something. It's not that Waldorf is Waldorf is a spiritual thing, but it's not a religion or anything. It's a, it's head, heart, and hands. You know, um, when you teach a kid like that, you you teach him. He's drawn to what resonates in his heart or her, and that that makes avid students. Um, I really fell in love with Waldorf education and that school is thriving there now, you know, had maybe 40 kids and the kindergarten is four or 500 now. And they, they have their own wow. organic farm. Um, this is 40 acres that, um, that Connie bought and, uh, we built the school on and, uh, so there's a place for a farm that was, and that was part of the master plan that there be an organic farm and that the kids learn about, because Waldorf, they teach you how to grow stuff. I mean, they teach kids. That's part of the kindergarten curriculum. Uh, yeah. Well, what kindergarten doesn't want to get their hands dirty? And I, yes, exactly. And i uh, I learned to play uh, ukulele because their teacher left, and I thought, well, it can't be too hard. I, so it's only four strings. Bought right? <laughs> <laughs> one, uh, and Connie, um, who's been a violinist, lifetime violinist, uh, started here in Aiken. You know, when she was three, um, she taught uh, violin, and uh, I taught ukulele for a couple of years. And wow, I mean, I. 
the way I look at teachers, um, my estimation of teachers just soared through the roof. I thought uh, as I was um, having trouble holding on to this one class, um, I was thinking to myself, how do they teach the math if I can't get them to focus on something that's this much fun? How the hell do they <laughs> teach them algebra? So, yeah, that was a, a wonderful thing. I became a teacher. I became a an organic farmer. Um, and I lost the horse on California and a ridge top, but not the studio. Now my daughter has just completed a record up there, Jazzy Young. Um, and uh, a lot of other people have recorded in that studio. Uh, most of them, um, my sons had a band for a while, uh, Beso Negro. Yeah, Beso Negro. She jazz band, yes. That, yeah. That was uh, my godson playing drums and Cheyenne. Uh, my blood son playing bass and uh, and then two marvelous guitar players and yeah I don't think they play much anymore well let me uh, I, we have a lot a lot of our diggers are huge Led Zeppelin fans uh, and uh, you've had the pleasure of uh, of having the golden god himself, Robert Plant, record uh, one of your songs, Darkness, Darkness. Well, how did that come about? And what do you think of his interpretation? You know, he's a, all those songs from that album are, he was a folky. Mm, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, originally, yeah. Yeah, originally into folk music. I mean, he recorded a Bonnie Dobson song. You know, Bonnie's one of those folk artists that I played with through the years, but who never really broke out mm -hmm. of anything. But I mean, there are so many wonderful and, uh, the guy who wrote Hey Joe, I forget his name. Um, so Robert got my phone number from somebody. I'm living in Hawaii. I'm drinking good coffee. And he called me He from a taxi and, and said, um, introduced himself and said, hey, I'm recording Darkness, Darkness. I want to send you the mixes and see what you think. And um, I said, wow, great. Um, we had played together once, but we never... Um, we never met. And if there were any wild parties, I was probably already home in bed, you know, so. Uh, We've already established that. Yeah, not a party animal. Um, yeah. Um, but yes, so he sent me the mixes. It was a wonderful conversation. He sent me the mixes and I loved him. And, uh, you know, they were doing all these different mixes for different kinds of radio in those days or something. Yeah, they were all good. I, I think he did a wonderful job. Well, good enough to get a Grammy nomination yeah. for best vocal. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. All right. So, you know, as, as, as we discussed earlier, you, 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 you contracted uh, Lyme disease. You probably had it about 20 years. Uh, in 2012, it had gotten so bad that you had decided to hang it up uh, as opposed to you know, trying to manage uh, the disease and the career at the same time. But that only lasted till 2016 because uh, your son, Tristan, who went to the Berkeley School uh, College of Music, uh, graduates and you go to the graduation and uh, the clouds part, the heavens open up and you're, you're, you're back. What, 
and, and I, I, the way I read it, it happened that day. Yes, and it was not his graduation. It was his senior recital. Ah. Mm -hmm. So the recitals happen in this one room where there's a lot of people coming in and out, and the kids come in. You know, there's could be 40 people there, could be four, and it could be 40 and then four, and then they, they had to go to class. So people are coming in and out and going on, and T has his senior recital, and he put this band together. So I sat you know, down, I got about eight rows back, two keyboard players, um, bass, drums, sax, a guitar player, electric guitar, and, um, but no vocals, just all instrumental. So I sat down there in the eighth row and this music just rolled over me and I thought, I want a band like this. And I talked to D after the show. Um, or maybe maybe I didn't. Maybe I waited a little bit, you know, because I, I didn't want to, you know. Embarrass him and all that. Yeah, and I didn't want to steal his thunder. This was his thing, you know, mm. his final um, show at Berkeley. And... Um, But I, I told him that summer, um, oh, we had an invite to South by. Um, South by Southwest, yeah. We, we've been selling coffee to um, the guy who represents um, Australia, New Zealand, and Hawaii. There's this, you know, he's like the inviter for the South Pacific. So he considered me a Hawaiian artist, and I was in his territory you know, because I lived in his territory, and uh, he loves our coffee. <laughs> uh, you know, he ordered some 12 pounds at a time. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd been saying no, 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 no. But right before that, Connie and I wrote Cast a Stone. And Cast a Stone is, um, was triggered um, when Tristan was at Berkeley, um, two or three blocks away, that's where the, the finish of the marathon was and the Boston bombing. Right. And we, and they shut the cell towers down and we heard about that bombing on NPR and then we could not get through. Nobody said, you know, the cops had done it too. They thought there might be other bombs. And so for an hour, I mean, we came home and there it was on TV, but we could not reach our son <laughs> and neither mm -hmm. could, you know, um, um, you know, another half million parents or, and um, yeah, so that was deeply etched in our memory. And, and I think they were starting on the movie Boston that became Boston Strong, which was about that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the casting director said, well, does your son want to, I hear your son's at Berkeley. Do they want to, uh, you know, come and be extras? And I said, no, they don't, they don't have time to sit, squat, or scoop, stoop. I mean, um, you know, T came through magna cum laude. Mm -hmm. uh, so he was on it all the time. And he didn't have any time to just take, take a whole day. And, but she said, um, well, we, we have this song 
then maybe Jesse could write some lyrics to it or it it, it really kind of sucks. <laughs> maybe you guys need to, need to help. You can write some a help. song. <laughs> so, you know, she's not really in a position to, to, but she did it anyway. And boy, next morning, Connie had a page of lyrics at five in the morning. She woke up and there it was. Um, you know, I, um, I worked with those lyrics and I rewrote some of them and stuff, but Connie had hatched it and and the idea was hers, cast a stone in the water, look and see the ripples spread out. And this, you know, this was the beginning of lots of evil uh, that yeah. we had seen un unraveling. And um, we wrote that song and she, and I said, it's Boston, it's Irish. And I know from that because I've got that blood in my veins. So out came Cast a Stone, very Celtic, kind of this Celtic uh, lament. Can you play a can you play a little of it for us? Yeah. Use your tuner, you know, Jesse. I have one. Jesse, that's really nice and a good song for the times. Yes, and um, Dreamers is full of those uh, 
Yeah, that's the album that was released last year, yeah. 2019. Uh, also that you too political at that time. No, I well, I don't know about now. Uh, I mean, now between that, just... for my sisters is another yes. uh, political song on that album. Um, you know, let's face it, uh, we are as a nation uh, going through um, something some some change some huge tremendous change uh and uh you know battle lines uh are drawn uh and um you know hopefully it doesn't spill over to blood uh any more than what we've seen um and uh you know it just i just don't understand why we can't seem to find the time to have a conversation a national conversation uh and and hear everybody i i think there's a a certain level of paranoia on on some that you know a way of life is changing or leaving or being extinct and i, I don't think that's necessarily the case i think a lot of people believe that but you know i mean all we as anybody who lives in this plane of existence can do is move forward you, you can't ever go back yeah all you can do is move forward. And, uh, you know, uh, those of us that take our cues from artists like yourself uh, and learn, you know, about the world, uh, about people, about universal truths, um, you know, need uh, that grist or that nourishment to help us further the conversation. So you just keep doing what's, what you've been doing, my friend. It's... It's really, really, really special. So, you know, besides the podcast and the, the new album, you know, what, what, what's next for Jesse Colin Young? Um, I'm just finishing. Uh, when we started, uh, did we talk about the first day of the yeah. lockdown? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so you're working on an acoustic I, album. Yeah. Yeah. And the acoustic album, right. Yeah. I'm, uh, and that has been the last month. Um, mm -hmm. And um, rediscovering playing solo has been a, a real adventure for me. And um, yeah, when was the last time you did a solo? You know, really? Has it been since the first two albums? Yes, a, a, a complete show. Yeah, it's yeah. been half a century. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, because I've been in one band or another, and I would go and play, you know, songs solo at different shows, you know, and benefits for Bread and Roses, which used to be in the Bay Area. Yeah. And things like that, but not, yeah. So I, I kind of played one by mistake uh, at the mansions. Uh, I thought they wanted, you know, like, a a few songs and then a Q and A, mm -hmm. and it turned it out they wanted an hour and a half. <laughs> and I thought, holy shit, I haven't done this. How am I going to pull this out of my ass? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> luckily, I had a couple of weeks to work on it, and I said, I don't know how it's going to go. I've only got thirteen songs on the. Well. I mean, it went to almost two hours. I mean, I just started telling them stories 
as I would about the songs. And um, yeah, I mean, the hour and a half went by. And was, <laughs> Real quick. I was still at it, yeah. So, and that really uh, um, was an eye opener for me. And I said, wow, I can do this. Uh, how wonderful, how it, it frees me up because it's so, um, it's so expensive to travel with a big band. And it was such a marvelous experience, but um, I'm not sure we ever made any money. I mean, it just came and went. And uh, <laughs> as wonderful and, and playing with the young people in the, in, the, in the Dreamers band was just a dream. And they are the ones who are playing on the track, the new track of Get Together that Steve Miller and I have put together. Mm -hmm. That's that Berkeley band playing everything except my guitar and Steve's guitar and our voices. Yeah. And the girls actually are singing with us that sang in the, uh, in the band, beautiful harmony singers. And, um, was that the last thing you guys did before lockdown? Yes. Yes. And it's funny. We decided, um, we looked for a charity and I, I think our uh, publicist, uh, Michael Jensen led us to, um, why hunger mm. which had been started in the eighties by Harry Chapin mm. and, you know, has been at it now for 35 or however many years, uh, mostly in the United States, but also they do things overseas and they put people and food together and try to, um, and they have a hotline. If you're, you know, they tell you where the nearest food is. If you're hungry and you're in the street and they tell you where the nearest food is, it's so every, uh, all the revenues from this get together with Steve Miller and, uh, uh, Actually, all you have to do is listen to it. It's on all the streaming um, channels or networks. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. And if you just listen, then they send this little bit of money to Why Hunger and it turns into food. And um, I thought we would need some beauty that this year would be so ugly, this election year. And that was, I mean, I'd had the track around for a year and a half or so before I spoke to Steve about it. And um, we, we, were just, we were having dinner and Tristan was there. And I said, you know, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to do something with Get Together. This is, um, maybe it's time for a new one because we are heading into a stiff, uh, heavy, heavy weather. And um, it'll be good to have some love um so let's let's do what we can you uh, would you like to help me and he said simply i'm in mm. so when he came back from tour in early october or late the whole summer thing that he does um i got a hold of him and said i've redone my parts boy this is a beautiful track i've redone my acoustic guitars and i i think i've 
actually might have put some kind of rumba into the <laughs> anyway i was very i had a lot of fun replaying my guitars because they weren't uh, we recorded it live in the studio and uh, originally yeah originally so <clears throat> the vocal mistakes and all yeah <laughs> the, yeah and um yeah but the band God, they didn't make any mistakes. And they're all, you know, 20 sums and they played get together and they loved it so much. I wanted a recording of it. That's why we did it. I uh, I paid for it because we were on the road. We were there in Nashville at the studio. We were we recorded Dreamers. And somebody had canceled on our engineer that uh, you know, a week before that day that we had off. And I said, the angels RSS thing, Jesse. Let's let's go in and do it. Record, get together. Yeah. And there it was uh, for Steve and I, and he's just. I mean, we both moved to the Bay Area in 1967. We. Um, yeah, you guys came up together. Yeah, and uh, it was perfect because uh, I mean, I talked to and tried to get a hold of other people who might want to participate in this, but it all, um, with Steve, it was just real. I mean, when he said, I'm in, he meant it. Mm. And he said, how are we going to do it? I said, well, I, I've got a track already. We're probably just going to sing and play. Um, yeah, so it's out there. And uh, we'll, we'll make sure everybody goes and uh, gives a listen. So yeah. That they and can, if, they uh, just, if they like it, if they just tell 10 friends, you know, the friends just have to listen and the money and money and money goes and, to food and, money and food, food feeds people. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That that's the, you know, this is the karmic place that I get together belongs in this year when food insecurity has uh, uh, magnified because of COVID. And yeah. as bad as it is, as shameful as it is in what used to be the richest country in the world, that we, that 40 million people would be insecure is a heartbreaking. So this, this does a little good for that. And, uh, you know, man, COVID is saying to us, you need to remember how to take care of each other. Yeah. Um, I, that's the obvious solution. I mean, just the mask wearing thing, uh, is just, you know, that's, that, that, that's just common courtesy, uh, when you get right down to it, it is. you know, and, uh, you know, it, you know, we, we, we do have a, you know, a wonderfully diverse country that, you know, brings the peoples from all over the world to a single place to exchange ideas, cultures, um, you know themselves that 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 is advancement that is progress that is evolution and we should celebrate all of that and we spend so much time fighting over whether this is a good or a bad thing i i i just don't understand it at all it, it makes no sense to me i this is nothing but a positive great thing is our diversity our ability to come together and you know turn something into turn nothing into something we've done this over and over again yeah that's the american excep exceptionalism and we need to relearn that lesson and that country that's the country that i love yes yeah, it's, it's a multiracial multicolored country and people bring 
their gifts from all over the world here and become Americans and make this country go around. And it, it's a thrill for me. Um, the kids in the band, one from Indonesia, one from Malaysia, um, one from Spain, her mother, African. Uh, and then there's this Irish kid playing the saxophone, Jack G. <laughs> And, and Tristan and I, and um, drummer Donnie, his mom's from Korea. So, uh, you know, we had, our, we had our second rehearsal the day after Trump was elected. And I thought, my God, these kids are here on visas. What's gonna happen? Um, and we just we got lucky and uh, so far yeah so, so far so far yeah let's let's end this thing in november and uh, then we don't have to worry about that uh, yeah. any longer jesse um wow well we can't wait to get you back on the road <laughs> get get you seeing i know you're enjoying your time uh hanging out but that's not where you belong you belong out there in front of an audience, uh, giving everybody else joy along with yourself on stage, of course. And in the meantime, boy, I'm telling you, we look forward for more routes that you are going to be tripping on. Yes, I, I'm, um, we're gonna have to do it through Zoom. Um, as COVID was just coming on, I have wonderful, interview with Deanna Brown, James Brown's daughter and James Brown yeah. hometowns right down the road here. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I was in the gym working out and um, my trainer put on funky president. Mm -hmm. And I said, who is that? Is that James Brown? I mean, that's political music, man. Listen to that. He really, he wrote political music. I thought it was all. Wow, I'm black and I'm proud. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's, he's yeah. got a few in there. Yeah. yeah so I, even living in America can be construed as, uh, as political. So yeah. Oh, I can't wait for that one. We got to get that one out on the, uh, mm -hmm. on well, the, I, the what I got to do is a lot of that writing that you're talking about. And <laughs> I'm a typist, you know, I write on the typewriter, but every third stroke is the wrong key. I know it's so, the hunting pack. Yeah. 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 It's so yeah, but beautiful stuff from her because she was, uh, you know, he used to call her, he'd call her from Romania and say, the people here, they love me. What the, who, how did they hear my music? What am I doing here? In the middle of the night, he'd call her and uh, when she was a kid and talk to her like that, like, it's incredible. And lots of stuff about James, you know, there's a music, they have a music school as part of the James Brown Foundation that is going mm -hmm. for kids after school music that is in full bloom here. And, and we support that. We, uh, um, we donated to it when we did the, uh, when, when Deanna was kind enough to do the interview with us because we are all between the Waldorf school and between Connie being involved with Juilliard here in Aiken for years had a program 
where the students would come and play in the spring break. I mean, uh, Charles Yang, who plays, that's where I met Charles Yang. He was a student uh, in a master uh, program and um, he plays violin on this get together um, beautifully, just beautiful. Um, yeah, so yes, it'll be wonderful, but I have to sit down and pull it together. And I wanted, I want to kind of aim it at James Brown's political music and his, his anti-drug music. I mean, mm -hmm. what that he succumbed at one point in his life to, um, you know, his conservative uh, yeah, heroin he, he, and those. Yeah. Oh, oh, you mean to the drugs? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean. Yeah. The most yeah. I hear him saying at the end of that record, get up. He's talking to the to the junkie who's laying in the street. Get up and be a man. Get up and take care of your family. I mean, powerful stuff. Without stuff that. I never I never heard. I just I just heard the hits, you know. Well, we look forward to hearing that. Jesse Colin Young, a real, real pleasure. And, and thanks so much for being with us today on Deeper Digs. My pleasure. My pleasure. And I will keep at it. And you too. Darkness, darkness. Be my pillow. Take my head. And let me sleep. In the cool of your shadow in the silence of your dreams darkness darkness hide my yearning for the things I cannot see mind from constant turning to the things I cannot be. Darkness, darkness, be my blanket, cover me Thank you, Jesse, for the time to talk shop. And yes, I just had to play Robert Plant's version of your song, Darkness, Darkness, for our diggers. Make sure you all check out Jesse's new show, Tripping on My Roots, from our Pantheon Podcast Network. And of course, go listen to all the great music Jesse has put out over the decades. Yes, Jesse is an official digger, just like you. So, um... It's really awesome to have him a part of the network. And I just think he is a voice that is really made for a moment like our times. A comfort in the dark. A steady sound that points a positive way in a world of fog. And it's done quietly, yet confidently. But he's just telling stories in the hope that the point gets made. <laughs> 
I'm not surprised at hearing Get Together is once again getting airplay. I happened to have the TV turned on to CNN on the 4th of July when Jesse and more friends of the show, Little Kids Rock, uh, joined up together to give an updated version, uh, including a new rap. Uh, The understatement of the year just might be 2020 sucks. We may be a divided country right now, but somehow I have a feeling we can all agree on that. Pandemic, 5 million cases, and over 170,000 Americans dead from the disease, more than were killed in World War I. But as if that's not enough, an economic disaster that is just now beginning to take effect. Civil strife caused by militarizing our peace officers, fires in California, a windstorm in Iowa, and hurricane season now in full swing. Obvious incompetence from our government and social media that may be doing far more harm than good. The list goes on. I didn't even mention the murder hornets. The list just goes on. Somebody told me today there may be an asteroid that's going to hit before the election. Can we stop already? Really? I mean, if there were ever a time we needed to put away our differences and realize we are far more alike than not, it is now. We must be united because, as the great Abraham Lincoln said, a house divided cannot stand. And until we realize that the point of being an American is an ideal to live up to and not a set of criteria you have to possess, things will continue to get worse. So come on, people, smile on your brother. Everybody try to love one another right now, because if not now, then when? Okay, that's it for this week. Stepping off the soapbox. Next episode, I will have author Ken McNabb, direct from Scotland, discussing his very intriguing book, And in the End, The Last Days of the Beatles. A lifelong Beatles fan and a respected journalist with the Evening Times, Ken takes a month-by-month approach through 1969 as the Fab Four slowly fall apart due to creative differences, financial disputes, and just growing apart as people. It is a detailed look at those trying times when the center just could not hold the boys together anymore. Make sure you come on back for that deep dig. Until then, get together and keep up the rocking. When the morning sun is gone, shine the darkness from my eyes. And I wake up in the treetops, darling. Deeper Digs is hosted by Christian Swain. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Sound designed by Busy Signal Studios. Engineered by Jerry Danielson, Christy O'Donnell, and Leslie Barker. Find all of our shows, notes, and social links at PantheonPodcast.com. 
Contact us on social at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found used in this podcast for purchase or streaming wherever you get your great music. Please pick up these amazing tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.